0: The Insider from Work With Studios. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode two of The Insider. We have got an incredible guest lined up for you today in the name of Ryan Scardelli, uh, an incredible filmmaker and currently working in marketing for low pressure studios looking after battalion and lobster snowboards. In episode one, if you haven't listened to it yet, head back to your preferred podcast platform and check in with CJ Selig of Adidas 510. She's got an incredible story and some brilliant insights into the mountain bike industry. Thank you so much for all of your feedback on the show. It's been great to hear your thoughts and to find out that people are actually interested in what we're bringing to the table. A few of you rightly asking kind of who I was and and why this podcast came about so I wanted to take uh, a couple of minutes at the beginning of the show just to kind of share a little bit about my story Um, I grew up as a bike rider racing BMX and mountain bikes competing in in freestyle events I was a a British champion at the age of 12 I think Um, and I just had a huge passion for, for bikes which turned into a A passion for action sports loving surfing snowboarding uh, in more recent years climbing it's it's something that has uh, i built a lifestyle around unfortunately uh, a professional career as a rider didn't quite pan out for me through injury and i took myself off to university initially i was going to go and do a photography degree uh, and then after a bit of soul searching decided to do a marketing degree at the University of Brighton. I knew one way or another I wanted to stay in this industry that I loved. I was always uh, a very creative person but more in terms of coming up with ideas rather than being uh, an, an artist or, or, or a filmmaker. So. As I started university, uh, Red Bull was a brand that was was really on its way up and making moves and and one of the few brands that was really getting behind uh, the the action sports industry. And I said to myself, that is a company that I want to work for. Uh, At the time, uh, you would have seen uh, mainly uh, beautiful young girls riding around in Red Bull minis uh, with uh, Red Bull cans. Uh, on the back, and it was the only job I could see that I could I could maybe get to do. So, I applied to be a wings girl, and uh, I guess uh, I wasn't quite the demographic they were looking for. But I found out about another role called uh, a student brand manager, and before you know it, I was in Austria being trained up on this on this role. Essentially, they called us the, the cool kid on campus. That was definitely not me, but it was an incredible job that gave me an in to this, this brilliant organization that I ended up doing uh, an internship with whilst doing my degree. I met some incredible people, uh, notably Kat McKenzie, who was the, the head of the athlete program and opened my eyes to this, uh, this role that was available. And she has been a mentor in the industry to me, to me ever since she's now uh working very very closely with fans i hope to have her on as a guest at some point Um, so from there i graduated in the height of the recession uh and there were no marketing jobs available red bull had recently made a lot of redundancies and my dream of going there was was not going to happen so Everybody told me to go off in sales and I did it. I did it for a year. I sold Pepsi out the back of a van to local retailers and tried to teach them how to uh, category merchandise their fridges properly. It was soul destroying, Uh, but I learned so much that I carry with me to this day. From there, I progressed into a few different marketing roles working as a brand manager for a UK bike distribution company, working with the likes of SRAM, Troy Lee Designs, Look Cycles, donning some Lycra from time to time. And then I was approached about my dream job. Uh, I uh, took on the EAMEA Action Sports Manager role for, for Monster Energy over four years, which was an incredible opportunity working with some of the best athletes in the world through X Games and the Olympics, looking after seven sports and just learning so much. Um, but with that sort of role, it's uh, so all-encompassing that you know, burnout ultimately came about and I decided to, to set up my, my own agency, Work With Studios. Um, and for the last four years, I've been representing some incredible athletes. Um, I've been a producer on some amazing films like Death Grip and Vision, working on content series um, and more recently being a consultant um, for brand communications and advertising campaigns with, with some incredible brands. Um, along that... Uh, Journey. I have met some incredibly talented people that are making some of the big moves behind the scenes uh, within some, uh, some awesome brands. And I've been toying with the idea of, of wanting to kind of shine a light on those people. And that was where the insider as a, as a podcast came from. So this is an industry that I've been involved with for, for over a decade. And these are the people that I have met along the way. Uh, but ultimately, I am a fan of these sports. Uh, and every day I wake up and I get on my bike and every winter I can't wait to hit the mountain. So um, that's me. This is episode two of The Insider. And we are going to jump right in with Ryan Scardelli from Low Pressure Studios. Find out his story and we will see you on the other side.
1: Hi. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Probably should move inside where the bird isn't making all this noise.
0: Yeah, I can hear it. It sounds lovely though, just birds chirping in the background. Uh, all right, cool. Um, well, welcome to the Insider episode two, Ryan Scardelli. Um, The way I like to start this off is just by kind of letting you introduce yourself uh, and kind of explain what it is that that you do for for a living, really. I think that's the easiest way. And then I'll kind of let everybody
1: uh, know about how we got to know each other. Cool. Uh, My name is Ryan Scardelli. A lot of people in the snowboard industry call me Diggles. Uh, What I do for a living, well, technically I am... A freelancer, but I basically work full time for a low pressure studio as a content producer, um, copywriter, social media manager. I do the ad buys with all the endemic media and help with the general marketing of the battalion and lobster brands and switch back uh, prior. Cool.
0: Yeah, it's uh, an interesting job. It kind of encompasses uh, lots. Uh, but I think your story to getting into that position is is quite a unique and interesting one. So uh, I'm keen for everybody to kind of find out about that. Um, a little bit of our background. Um, we came across each other during my time at, at Monster Energy. Um, Ryan um, presented a new series Uh, to me called Beyond Medals, which has now gone on to win uh, Transworld awards and make multiple movies. But at the time it was a pretty low budget web series. Um, For me, it came exactly the right time I wanted to step Monster into that world of content um, in kind of episodic content that um, Red Bull were kind of more famous for. Uh, there were some really big projects going on in mountain biking like Life Behind Bars and a few other big projects in snowboarding. And it felt like the right time. And then we have worked together ever since. Ryan then came on to become the, the consultant for snowboarding and team manager for Monster Energy in Europe. Uh, made a lot more projects together we've been involved in world snowboard tour events um and then yeah later in uh in his career with battalion and low pressure studios so we probably go back uh about eight years i guess we've been working together for now um but your story of how you got into the industry i think has been one of uh ups and downs and and a bit of hustling along the way so I think it'd be interesting to kind of i guess for people to find out how did it all start for you what was it did you you I know you were a, a skier and a snowboarder back in Tahoe and how did that turn into you wanting to kind of uh, move <clears throat> into the industry
1: yeah uh damn I forgot I was the snowboard consultant for Monster <laughs> yeah I got to put that years. I got I got to put that on my CV mm-hmm um i'll be a reference it's fine yeah i've never had a job interview so i don't know <laughs> if I, I i've never also never had a cv so um yeah i mean i grew up in tahoe i grew up ski racing and i did that until i was 15 i went to the junior olympics and all of that as a ski racer in high school
0: now hold on you went to the junior olympics i never knew this
1: yeah, I went to the Junior Olympics as a ski racer in, Mon- in Montana. Sweet. Yeah, when I was 15. I didn't do very well, but I went. It's it, You got a particip- participation medal? Yeah, I got a participation <laughs> trophy. Nice. <laughs> Every Everyone in America gets participation trophies for everything. Perfect. That's, that's the new world we live in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. In high school, like my senior year... I wanted to make a ski snowboard video with my friends as my senior project, uh, which I sort of did. I had, I had got in a lot of trouble in high school and ended up leaving like midway through my senior year to attend the rehab program. Uh, so I didn't end up finishing that film, but I had made some other short videos and stuff. And after high school, Uh, I got a job at a local ski shop and kept kind of just, like, filming on the side of my friends. And I I don't know exactly when, but I was living with this guy, Eric Messier, who's a local pro snowboarder in the Tahoe area, and got the opportunity to film with him for a season. And that footage ended up in the first Videograss movie. And then through him, I met uh some guys were working with a brand called commune at the time and i got involved with them and i worked on a like a snow team video for them and a project called spring break with this guy kevin Casanera, who is the director of that project he's gone on to do a bunch of music videos and fashion and all sorts of stuff um talented to direct a talented director and
0: i think for for a lot of people who don't know about like video grass and spring break and stuff like that they were you know pretty big projects back in the day especially within the the core like snowboard industry so they they gave you a a really good step into the industry especially when you say you know you didn't exactly have the most kind of typical kind of uh, uh step into it from high school and college and all of that sort of stuff so those those films were, were, were a big deal, I guess, for someone aspiring to get into the industry.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're just doing, I was just doing my thing and didn't really know what I was doing. Just had friends who were pros or associated with the industry and would film them on the side. I was like tuning skis at night and working in the ski shop during the day. And I think the year we did the Commune project, they were paying me like 700 bucks a month and uh that was you know i was pretty stoked about that I was like i'm getting paid to, to film snowboarding um fast forward a bit a couple of years later i was living in Truckee, which is in tahoe uh with this guy named ty a good friend of mine for a long time and he he had hooked up with this girl from spain like the previous summer and they were uh like kind of keeping in touch via skype and stuff and i met i met her like over the computer uh, her name's claudia and she was living in barcelona at the time renting a room from the editor-in-chief of method mag and i don't i don't even remember how this happened but basically she mentioned to me that method mag was looking for a videographer so i just emailed Tomas for method the editor then introduced myself saying I worked on these projects and I'd be interested in, in working for a method. And they got back to me basically immediately and said, great, we love those movies. Um, let's figure this out. And then like two weeks later, I was in Mammoth. We were there shooting some stuff for saber which was an eyewear brand he was making goggles that all my friends rode for at the time uh i was on this like skype call with the team from method and some guys from monster i'm not sure you were in your position then this was in 2011
0: yeah i i started in 2012 so it was just kind of before my time and and for those that don't know like like how would you describe method method is probably like in my opinion like it's it's a snowboard mag that comes out of europe but it's one of like the most core mags that, that the industry has has to offer
1: yeah it's one of the longest running snowboard magazines in europe it's pan-european they you know since 1994 and it's they just put out a book talking about the whole history of methods it's really cool but so yeah i mean and to be honest, it's not like I was faking it, but I sent this email and like told him I worked on all these projects and stuff, but I didn't have that much experience. And yeah. So did, some- did you have
0: any like formal training in like, did you go to like film school or did you go to like any classes to learn how to operate a camera or did you just pick it up as a hobby?
1: I just picked it up as a hobby. Like I did no, no formal training. Uh, didn't really. Yeah. I mean, just kind of, here you go. Yeah. So you, by it's this a,
0: time, you, you're kind of getting almost like full-on imposter syndrome trying to talk to these guys about these movies that you're making and
1: and trying to get this job with Method Mag. No, I mean, I had, <laughs> I had kind of been in charge of this one, of the Commune T movie and had edited the whole thing and shot the whole season for it and had contributed footage to all these other projects. So I kind of knew what I was talking about at this point. But definitely, you know, I'm in this Skype meeting with jimmy and these other guys from monster and the guys from method and we're talking about doing 25 episodes and the budgets and this and that and i'm just like yeah whatever like i just want to come to europe (laughs) let's let's do this yeah uh and then it was all like all it was all kind of like coming together with my friends as well my buddy scotty or like alex scott osman who i'm staying with now in in la he got the cover of it method. Like he was the first, the first issue of that volume. He was the cover. And that was from the spring break project. And that was when I started there. So like the first video I did for method was a behind the cover edit with Scotty before I flew over to Barcelona. Yeah. And it just all like came together really like perfectly. Um, yeah, it was, no. a, it was
0: it was an interesting time because I, I remember stepping into that that role in Monster in 2012 and and that kind of partnership with with Method was was a new one for them. Uh magazines were were just starting to kind of look for new new revenue streams and print media with what we're talking 9 years ago now, it wasn't it wasn't dead, but it was the the industry and the model was changing. So it was moving more online, and, and they were looking for that kind of video content to support the the print mag. You couldn't just survive as a as a print mag only anymore. So, I, I guess your role as a videographer lended it, itself to that um, as the industry was moving in that direction.
1: Yeah, sure, but at the same, like actually, Method started as a video magazine, and they had always had a video component. Method right. TV had okay. been running for. I don't know, 10, 15 years or whatever at that point. And I didn't realize like any of that history or heritage that I was stepping into basically everyone at the time who was big in snowboard video in Europe had, had worked for method at some point. Yeah. Tom, Tom Elliott from Easton seven had done that job. Richard Pendergast who's a UK, um, videographers well he, on be, he's yeah just uh got
0: nominated or almost got into the short list right for uh for an oscar nomination
1: yeah the first short film you know so like everyone everyone in snowboarding video in europe has worked for method and worked on the method tv series at some point okay it's like a proving ground yeah kind of and i didn't know anything about any of this i just like moved to barcelona and filmed snowboarding like shit yeah let's do it yeah and so I mean I I'd been to Europe once before with my with my dad and my brother when I was like 15 for 10 days or something, and then all of a sudden like I'm gonna move to Barcelona, and I had no plan. I didn't I didn't know anything really. I didn't even get it. That's the whole first year I lived in Europe. I didn't have a visa. I just okay. like I just like flew to Barcelona as a tourist and like lived there for a year and like travel all around. Europe and the world yeah working on these projects and I, I mean I don't know how I got away with any of that yeah well sometimes you just have to like throw yourself in the deep
0: end and and
1: cross your fingers I guess and it worked out for you yeah I mean it was such a different setup like we were all contractors everyone that worked at Method was a contractor and Method was at the time was owned by a publishing company in the UK or in Wales actually yeah. And I wish I could remember those guys names, but I met them when I first got over there, they came over and it would just seemed so alien, these like publishing guys. And it, we were just kind of at odds with them. And I mean, I wasn't super involved with the company that season, you know, I was just working on the, on my video projects, but I was involved in, or I was involved enough to, Realized that things were not going that well yeah and it was we were in japan i was in japan with tamaz and christo from method and then we were there with grillo and the helgeson brothers and that was the first and, and johannes brenny that was the first time i hung out well no i had met them in the season it was the first time we like did a trip together
0: and and back then like let's, take, let's say that said what nine years ago like grillo the helgesons you know how does a huge name now grillo has been a big name for years were they as big back then was that kind of like an intimidating situation or was it it just felt pretty natural
1: i mean none of it these just snowboarders you know i've never been intimidated by meeting or like working with guys like that i i guess you know i guess there's times like when i worked on nike chosen i went into that the first day thinking Oh, uh, do I stack up against all these other like filmers they've hired and this and that? And at the end of the day it's like, yeah, we're all just like snowboard filmers, whatever. Yeah. But no, it, it yeah, for sure. It it's
0: interesting. Like like I remember my first X games and meeting certain people and and there was some sort of like apprehension going into it, but these people they're just like other human beings at the end of the day as well.
1: Yeah, sure. So we're in we're in Japan. And I just, I kind of just overheard Chriso and Tomaz in this like total freak out. They're like, what do you mean the mag hasn't gone to print? What do you mean? Like they basically were in Japan on this trip and they find out that the third or fourth issue is just like never gone to print because they'd run out of money. And like this guy at the publishing, this guy at the publishing company in Wales has just been mismanaging the budget basically. And there's no, they like, we shouldn't even have been on this trip, and like okay. method, method kind of like went under like while we were in Japan, and I mean it was pretty crazy to be there for all of that, and through all that, Chriso and some other guys were able to like get control of the mag, and now it's an independently owned magazine and yep. publication, and it's it's way better. They're better off for it. Yeah, I, I but, think
0: a, a lot. It's, it seems like over that kind of period of time, a lot of magazines went through kind of similar situations like that, where they, they lost control. Uh, they get, tried to gain back control. Uh, some people have found it harder, uh, like, you know, factory media doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but method found a model to come out the other side of it. And they've continued to kind of be a strong player in, in the industry.
1: Yeah, I think they've done, I think they've done well. It's cool. I'm proud of those guys. Uh, I talked to Chris on a pretty regular basis. I'm stoked on all the stuff they're doing. I got to work on the first Method movie. Contributed footage on the other two, I think. It's it's a lot of stuff now. It's hard to keep up with all of it or remember everything I did. Um, But yeah, so that was the beginning was that first season. Working for Method, just really... No clue what was going on, no visa. We went to Japan, we came back and they're asking me like what I'm doing in, and they're like, How come I've been in Europe so much? We landed in Germany, I was like, Oh no, I'm going to Greece tomorrow and they're like, Okay, whatever yeah. <laughs> Just like you know, just things just kinda of fell in, in fell into place and it was all kinda of easy and sure and fun. And so after that first year, I went back to california for the summer you know and like that job was not you know it's not like i had that job anymore it was a one one season deal yeah but i but i knew i was like i want to go back to europe so that summer i kind of you know i had met some people along the way i had met a girl that year in switzerland who lived in germany and who I liked and through, you know, kept in touch with her and and figured out like, okay, I can get a visa in Germany. That seems to be like the easiest place to get a visa. Yeah. And so I just, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, we'd met at a snowboard, we had met at the Burton European Open in Locks, and we'd hung out a few times, whatever. And then I just asked her, can I use your address for a visa in Germany? And she's like, yeah, sure. And... <laughs> you, you've you've had good luck along the way. You, I know you've had some
0: bad luck along the way, but you've always kind of had that sort of a bit of a carefree attitude. And it's it's always pretty much worked out for you uh, one way or another. Um, yeah. I mean, you just have to know it. You just have to know that like, it's going to be fine. And not, not... not be scared to ask, right? You've never been scared to ask.
1: Yeah. I mean, why? I don't know. Maybe it's, definitely sometimes people think I know I've been in situations where people are like possibly embarrassed by me because I, oh, well, I've been one of them push the, <laughs> push the limits or ask for too much or this or that, but it's like, whatever.
0: Yeah. It's, and it's always done with, with a smile. So it's kind of, you've always had that way of, of, uh, you know, ultimately getting away with those things, but you know, you've taken a lot of risks uh, you put yourself out there and you've, you know, you're good at what you do. And those, those three things have, have kind of worked out for you. So you, you're, you've done a year at method. You're, you're in America. You're coming back over to Germany. Um, and what's the plan at what point did that kind of step into meeting Kevin and Tor to, to start beyond medals?
1: Yeah. So I had actually, I had met Kevin and tour, the, the year before while I was working at Method, actually like one of the first trips I did for Method was to the Stubai Glacier opening and they had paired me up with them and I won't get too much into that whole, like the first night I met them was insane. And like, <laughs> I like, I show up to this this bar to meet them and they're there. They were like ni- 18 and 19 at the time and they're just going crazy. Yeah. And the next day on the hill, I remember being really like surprised by their outfits on the mountain because they were so different than what they like. The style didn't match up in my head to what yeah. they were wearing the night before. They were like at the bar, they're like in tight jeans and snapbacks and hoodies and stuff. And on the mountain, they're both wearing like double XL <laughs> like huge baggy outfits. And I was like, "Whoa, that doesn't really like match up. Yeah. But they're, you know, they're fun dudes and they were, at the time, like the new, you know, like the young up and coming hot dudes coming out of Sweden and Well uh, I think
0: that's that you know, it's a good good thing to sort of let people know who they were. Like I guess Kevin and Tor two yeah, like you're saying, young Swedish snowboarders who became well known for their uh around around the Olympics, essentially, when they when they were on the Swedish Olympic team and then some controversy happened around them being snapped like in a in a strip club um apparently during training and um it all kicked off back in sweden which ultimately ended with the with the two of them uh deciding to leave the the olympic snowboard team and and go off after kind of their their own dream away from competition but uh that's if you've heard of those guys before that that's who they are and why you would have heard of them potentially
1: yeah. So I had met Kevin and Tor while working at Method. We'd done a couple episodes and met the TV with them. I'm back in Europe. Um, I was still renting an apartment in Barcelona, but I was registered in Germany and kind of going back and forth between the two. And I was at one of the glacier openings again. And I am mean, at this point, I don't have a job. I'm just kind of like floating, trying to figure some stuff out. And I, I see Kevin and Tor again in Hintertux, and I was like, "Yo, let's start a web series." And they're and they're like, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it." Yeah. And then we didn't really talk again. And then all of a sudden, they were like filming with a web series with this guy Frederick in London at the, like the London. Yeah, I remember that the London Freeze, right? A London Freeze. I was. Yeah. Trying, I was like, I was thinking like ice or air, but that was in San Francisco. Yeah, London the London Freeze. freeze. And like this guy they're like, Yeah, you you can do it with Frederick. And I was like, Yeah, that was kinda like my idea, but whatever. So the first the first season I we did Beyond Metals together, this guy Frederick Talon and I, a German guy. Um and we we did the first episode was London Freeze and what's that place in Italy? Not Livigno. I can't remember where it is. I just remember there being some like uh, random hot tub scenes in it uh, at the beginning. That was in Breckenridge. Oh, okay. oh yeah, that was the first episode. Breckenridge. Yeah. Breckenridge, Breckenridge in Italy. Yeah, the London Freeze thing they did with Frederick, and they kind of put it out, but it was a bit weird. Um,
0: so I remember, I remember Kevin. Uh, Kevin was uh, on at the time. What was called kind of the the Monster Army. Uh, which was the the development program, I guess, at, at Monster. But he had already had uh, he had a pretty what contra- not controversial blog, but you know the, it would be considered controversial now probably. But he he got a lot of traction and he was kind of filtering into that that lifestyle side of things. You know, at the time, Tor was probably lesser known and sort of to a lot of people, Kevin's friend in many ways. Without being too harsh to him, he's created a, a big name for himself since then. Um, but with all of that Olympic controversy beyond medals was was you know what you approached me with as being this idea to kind of go back to the grassroots of of snowboarding about what it was really about with these two guys that are out there to have a good time and kind of tell the opposite story to the Olympic narrative that was happening at the time
1: yeah well when we started the first season was before that all even happened actually yeah the plan was still to go to the olympics it was i remember yeah okay for sure so the first the first season was the year before the olympics and we were like kind of presenting as like these guys are on the olympic team but they're beyond medals like there's so much more to them than that and i mean I'm, i'm talking about it now in like marketing terms but really the idea was like let's get someone to pay for us to travel around and film stuff yeah and put out episodes. And like, if we go to the Olympics, cool. But yeah, I mean, the like the, the pitch was Kevin and Tor, like the up and coming Swedish snowboarders, but they're beyond medals. Like they don't, that's not what drives them. They're in this for like the love of snowboarding and the culture. And we're going to show all of that in the episodes.
0: Completely. And and for me, seeing that was like, I, at the time, I was just waiting for that project to come across the desk that get the, that hit that that kind of, that storyline, essentially. Monsters always considered itself to be, you know, a lifestyle brand, which it is in many respects, other than it isn't. Essentially, it's it's just an energy drink, but it sells the idea of a lifestyle, and this series kind of embodied that. And so it was a no-brainer. And also to then have something that was delivering content real-time in snowboarding was something that was a bit controversial at the time, because everything would usually wait until... The next season, you'd film it in one season, and then you would release it at the beginning of the next season. Uh, whereas this was kind of more to come out as the season was was going on to be more real time.
1: Adam, if I had known it was like the project you've been waiting for, we could have gotten more money out of you. It's yeah, oh, what did we do? Of, the, what did you do? The I first think we're year at twenty five hundred bucks the first year. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but I, you know, it didn't feel it didn't feel like the project you were waiting for, Adam. It felt like. <laughs> Felt like we had to really convince you to give us twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah,
0: maybe. But I was you know, I'd only been in my role for a, for a couple of months, so it was uh it was hard to fight for. But that definitely grew over the years, that's for sure.
1: So <laughs> No, it's it did. I'm super appreciative of all of the support during those years. It was incredible. Um So yeah, I mean without getting like too much into like all the details or whatever we had that first year halfway through the year Frederick I think realized like I'm not going to get rich off this like immediately he bailed yeah and then it was like me and I was like this is all I got so I'm gonna make this work <laughs> yeah
0: um, I, I think that first year you know on the you know it wasn't the uh you know the 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 all singing, all dancing big series, but it started in the right way. And I think if it had come in with a bigger budget, it it would have it would have missed the
1: missed the mark.
0: The fact that it was kind of
1: it probably would have looked exactly the same. That was like yeah. the extent, That was like the extent of my talents. Yeah, just, I just would have pocketed more money. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and maybe gone to Japan earlier. Uh,
1: yeah, but, but um, it developed into it developed
0: into something over the years, and I think. Um, you know, we can go on to talk about that in, in a little bit for, for me, what that, that series did was it, it was the first time when you and me started working together. I've always been a huge fan of snowboarding. Um, at the time I couldn't, I couldn't snowboard. I skied as a kid, but I had some, some knee injuries and, um, I needed somebody to work with that was going to be kind of, I don't know, have my back in the industry Um, and also be someone to to be a sounding board for ideas and to add credibility not just to monster but to me in my role as well and and at that time I was looking for a for a consultant or a a team manager and a bunch of other names were were floated around for a little while and for me it meant you made you made the most sense at the time and 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 it and it worked Um, and I think those next few years helped with the development of beyond metals, but also, you know, you engaged with the whole snowball program and monster energy. And that was your, your step from being a filmer into more on the the marketing side of of the industry, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would say so. It was cool. Like, um, you know, I learned a lot from you during those years and it was cool to get brought in that way. And I'm, glad i was able to help legitimize your place in snowboard world (laughs) if that can be that's such a weird thing to say yeah it's uh, Uh, it's a bit formal but no but you
0: know you you know like even just things like we would go on and do these big snowboard tours and we would bring uh, uh stan over um and those introductions and and working with those people you know if you meet people just simply on a snowboard level, it can be quite hard, but when you're in those experiences, you get to know people on on a real level and and share your story with them, and you can build respect from from a different angle so um you know it definitely it definitely helped over the years
1: yeah, for sure it was i mean that was great, those were great times. yeah, you remember them more because uh you don't drink, whereas I don't have a huge memory of them completely. Yeah, I remember uh, – it's funny. Yeah. I was, like, thinking about it right now talking to you. I realized I kind of forgot a lot of the business stuff. I remember all the stories. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, we did uh, – f- yeah, four years. The, throughout the whole time I was in my role at Monster Energy, you worked in in one way or another, be it as a producer on Beyond Metals or uh, in that role and as a, as a consultant. So, it, you know, it, it definitely yeah. – yeah, four years of business and then – Uh, Mm -hmm. sort of another four years of business since then so it's definitely a you know a a friendship that came out of working together
1: yeah now it was at the same I just want to before we move too far along I want to just jump into a bit more like the story the it was the same year the first year we did Beyond Metals was also the same year I did my first job for battalion or maybe it was the second year it was either the first or th- maybe it was the second season to be on medals. is when i got hired by nike to do some stuff we did nike chosen in austria yeah and i was just i was just a videographer there for the event <clears throat> and then was that the same year as
0: snakes and hammers as well
1: no that was later okay so nike chosen was the year before and then there were two years of snakes and hammers but so i didn't i worked on at the Nike Chosen event. And that's where I met LaRogues who is the battalion team manager. And he asked me if I could go to Super Park and do the Super Park edit for battalion. So that was the first job I did for them. And I was going home to the US for some time that year anyways. I normally go over in the spring and then we'll stay for a bit of the summer before going back to Europe. So I went over and I shot the battalion edit for super park that year and that was like my introduction to the battalion guys and i think the next year i went to iceland and shot with jaeger bailey and ethan morgan and and then i and i did super park all again that year as well and, and super park
0: for those that don't know is like it it kind of is what it what it says it is it's a. Uh... A uh, huge event in the states where they just build this insane kind of, I guess, slope style setup, and it's just a jam for for a week long, right? With the best snowboarders in the world,
1: and uh, you're there filming it. Yeah, exactly. You know, like at the they the last few years they've done it. It doesn't really go down like this, but in the past, like every brand would send their whole team and like a filmer and a photographer, and you would create a bunch of your brand content there it was kind of like the cheap way to do a team shoot yeah it's just send everyone to super park um that was very much like battalions vibe at the time for sure and so the last i did three or f- how many years of beyond metals did i do three i think yeah i think it was uh,
0: three seasons
1: yeah so The last season that I did at Beyond Metals, I had the summer before I'd met Danny and Dennis in Southern California. They hired me to interview this guy, Bill Stewart, who's a surf shaper who they would collaborated with on a snowboard design and on some surfboards. And I was there interviewing him. And I basically told them there like, hey, guys, you need some help with your marketing and social and this stuff. And I just, like, kind of told them to give me a job. <laughs> Again, and, the, the Diggles approach. And they did. Yeah. Um. And so that, the last year that I worked on, or my last season full-time with Beyond Metals, I was also managing Battalion and Lobster's social media accounts and helping a bit with LaRog's, with team stuff. Yeah. And so
0: Danny and Dennis, uh, the, the owners of low pressure studio, which, which now, um, have, uh, battalion lobster and, and Rome recently. So it's, you know, it's, it was a, a smaller, a smaller company back then, but it's since you've been there and not saying that this comes down to you, but that it's grown into, you know, a more of a heavyweight within the snowboard industry.
1: Yeah. Like a lot of, I mean, a lot has changed since I started there. Um, but yeah, Danny's a creative director. Dennis is the CEO. Low Pressure Studio, at like you said, at the moment it's Battalion Lobster and Switch or Battalion Lobster in Rome, and we're part of a bigger group with um, Nidecker, Jones, Flo, Now, Yes. Uh, I don't th- think I missed anyone, no, but it's not all, right. yeah. But yeah, at the time it was just they—they they were kind of just running the show, and I told them they needed help, and they should hire me, and they did. And I spent like a year just doing the social stuff and helping out with content, you know, like Super Park things like that. And I was, still did Beyond Metals that year, and which was it, tour rides for Battalion, so that kind of made it that easy. Like I could just funnel. Tour content into the battalion streams, and I had a you know a pretty solid relationship with Halder and Aki Helgeson who are the part owners and like the faces of Lobster Snowboards, and so it all just made sense. It was all very natural to work with them. I had been working with their riders uh, since I got to Europe. <clears throat> and and that and, coincided
0: with uh the time when Johannes was leading Sexual Snowboarding and that series and you were also kind of filming on 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 those projects
1: as well. Yep, I helped on a couple seasons of uh Sexual Snowboarding with Johannes, just contributing footage one year and then helping him edit on one of them. Um so at th- were- at this point kind of we're
0: talking what 2015 16 you you know you've got your fingers in a few pies and things are starting to come together so you're you're still filming but you're uh, you've got your own series you're contributing to other people's projects some big stuff like uh, like Nike projects and sexual snowboarding but you're also kind of building your your kind of marketing knowledge and, and going into that side with the social side of things
1: yeah exactly I mean I worked on um nike i worked on never not i worked on sexual snowboarding i was working on beyond metals i was doing social stuff with battalion it was it was a there was a couple years where it was just i didn't say no to anything yeah um and all all the while kind of trying to get more more responsibility or like i was trying to like get more power you could say or i don't how do i don't know uh, power's wrong no influence like, yeah but just like within within low pressure and like do more with battalion and lobster and um. Uh, well i think was, what,
0: you've, what you've always been good at is and this is why i wanted uh, wanted to work with you more in the consultancy side of stuff with with monster was you you're good at understanding and identifying opportunities in the direction that something should go, which was, you know, I guess what Danny and Dennis saw in you with regards to the social media side of stuff at Battalion. Like people respect your opinion, especially when they understand where you've come from and the amount of stuff that you've been involved in. I think a lot of people over the years weren't necessarily aware of of how many different projects you had contributed to and where you're kind of uh, your career had started from with the likes of method that like you you just appeared one day, kind of how I did. I appeared one day, and when people understand your backstory, they realize that, oh no, this dude knows exactly what he 's talking about, and we should maybe listen to him more,
1: yeah, sure, I mean my all of our little egos love to think that, <laughs> you yeah,
0: you know we all need to have a little bit of ego from time
1: to time. everyone should listen to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, no, I mean, yeah, I wanted to have more influence. I saw opportunities with the brands. I wanted I just, I wanted to be involved and I wanted to do cool stuff and my friends are writing for these brands and I, I get along really well with, uh, with Danny and the creative team at battalion and it was just a really good fit. And I mean, I've been there in some capacity for the last six years. Yeah what's and... your
0: what's your like driving factor behind that though like wanting to do that stuff for, for me I always said uh it was you know I was passionate about these sports and I, I really did just wanted to get other people into them and try and make a a career out of that for you you know were you did you want to make people more aware of snowboarding or did you just want to make cool films and this was another way of making that happen like what was your motivation for for going after these jobs
1: money. <laughs> no. <laughs> um I don't know. It's like it's hard. I I'm sure I could have answered this clearer 6 years ago. It's funny. You get kind of jaded. Jaded and burn out a little bit over time, but yeah. But yeah, I mean I grew up in a ski town when I was a kid, all I wanted every Christmas was like all of the ski and snowboard movies that had come out that year. So that was, I never, I never wanted to be like, I never wanted to work in Hollywood or make commercials. And like so many guys and girls who are filmers in the snowboard industry, like move on to like commercials. And I just, I never understood that progression. Like, that's cool. That's what you want to do. But that wasn't why I got into it to begin with is I wanted to make, I wanted to make ski videos. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's taken me around the world now, you yep. know, ended up being snowboard videos, but I've been, I've been everywhere now. And it's like, it's cool. It's giving me all these opportunities. And it's funny. Like I'm in LA now. And I mean, it, we're, we're kind of on like this lockdown or whatever. So i going out or, like normal but normally if i'm when i'm in la i'll go to like a party or something and you end up talking to people and like what do you do and i kind of like throw around like oh marketing content production like this and that because i learned a while ago if you tell people here you like make snowboard videos they look at you like you're insane and then just like walk and they just like walk away from you and there was like a period of time where i was like embarrassed about like what i did in a way yeah but you know what like it's cool i get to like travel i basically get paid to fly around and play in the snow yeah
0: no it's and you know it's you it's that dream job it's what so many people kind of grow up doing uh like wishing they could do and 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 you made it a reality i think what's what's always been really interesting for me is is that you you actually have a like a a natural talent when it comes to to marketing like you're good at it you have an you have an understanding of 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 how to influence people and i think you proved that uh as you got more integrated into the marketing side of battalion and lobster um but that, yeah, I that think seemed... I'm, I think I'm better at marketing than I am at filmmaking. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would maybe agree. I think you're a great filmmaker, but, i but I do think you're very good at marketing. Um, that role at Battalion, you, you got that influence, and maybe it, it, but your, your heart feels like it's still in filmmaking, and you want to, you, it feels like you want to identify as a filmmaker and not as, say, a marketing director. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't study marketing. I didn't go to university for that, but yeah, I mean, it was fun. Like, it, like getting into the marketing side of things was a really cool progression. And I'm glad I have learned all that. Um, but yeah, like, so I'm going to be leaving low pressure in the fall. Um, or at least in like the kind of more full-time capacity that I'm in now, the plan is to probably continue doing content production for them. And, but to go, just go back out on my own and with a focus on content production, I feel like that's what I know best. I think I'm good at it and I know how important it is to brands and it's kind of the most fun thing to do. I don't want to look at Excel sheets and think about user experience on websites and uh not that i mean all that stuff is really important and it's and i do find it really interesting but i just i didn't get into this to sit behind a desk
0: no completely i think what's what's interesting is for, for me anyway like I always knew marketing and I and I loved uh loved kind of content production and I learned a lot from you over the years on the content production side of stuff and 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 then I've gone on to produce projects myself having that knowledge of how it all works has enabled me to be a better marketer for you you kind of started on the production side of stuff and then have, have gained uh knowledge of the marketing side of things do you think now going back into focusing on content production that experience from what it is that a brand needs to essentially sell products
1: is going to help you create better brand focused content yeah absolutely i mean i definitely think there is a disconnect between some of the uh filmmakers and pros and the brands on like what is needed and like what connects with the market and all of these things it's And it's a hard thing to tell, you know, like, it's hard to tell like a young, excited, upcoming, like, snowboarder that like, hey, this video part is really cool or whatever, but it doesn't, it's not going to have much of like an effect on the business. And at the end of the day, like, that's what pays the bills. Like, that's what this is all for. Yeah. You know, and without, and I, I definitely like. Upset some people in the past with like, hey, you know, your job is to sell snowboards, and it's and and you know, I've learned how to get better at those conversations. Yeah, but But, it's a, it's a
0: tough conversation to have, and it is. It kind of there does come a point with working with a lot of athletes where where that conversation needs needs to be had. You know, it's it's real. You you have a monster logo on your helmet because you're essentially selling energy drinks or the idea behind them at least. And when you've got a snowboard sponsor, your role is to encourage people to want to buy that snowboard.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's a hard thing because these sports like grew out of counterculture and this and that. And there is this history of skate videos and snowboard videos and, and, and what have you and, and like all that stuff, but it's turned into like, you know, really big business. And the internet has, has, we, we ended up with like influencer culture and like it or not, you know, life as a pro snowboarder is basically you're an influencer now. And a <laughs> lot of guys don't, a lot of guys don't vibe with that. And I understand it's, it sucks. Yeah. But you know, that's kind of just the nature of, of the industry and how things progressed and. Well, you have uh, a lot more
0: brands now as well. I think back when it was the traditional snowboard and skate films, you was, the counterculture idea was, was easier to, to market because there were less brands to choose from, but now it's harder to just push the lifestyle element of it because there's so many different options out there to go and buy that you actually have to drive the, the product forward simultaneously.
1: Yeah and I and I would say the snow sport industry in general is like has through I mean I, I don't know how to like put this into words maybe but it isn't counterculture it's like it's like this you know rich person's hobby yeah yeah and it's it's something that like you can only do if you either live in the mountains and like work at the resort and get a free pass or or you have like a lot of money to like yeah. travel and like rent a hotel room and a condo or whatever you're you're talking about like a five thousand dollar trip to go like once a year
0: yeah and, and then and the sport went i you know we always had these conversations, but when it tries to, i i feel like snowboarding went too inwards on itself and forgot that actually that's what its market was because there were very few. 16-year-old rail shredders that can, you know, that can keep your brand going.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into that. Like, I have my own opinions about, like, street snowboarding and, and, like, the unattainable kind of marketing. Like, I do think seeing Travis Rice, like, ride lines in Alaska is more aspirational than watching like a really street heavy film i don't think that really gets a big portion of the market hype to go snowboarding i think park riding does um i think park riding gets people excited to go the mountain because it you know the sports history is in freestyle like so freestyle is always going to be a major aspect of it yeah uh i don't know i mean we're getting into particulars here but it just there is a big disconnect i think with a lot of the marketing and the the market yeah and i think i think it's coming back around and you see more brands putting more focus on resort riding and hopefully there's going to be more discussions about like inclusivity and how do we get more people involved and how do we get the resorts to lower their ticket prices i think that's like the biggest hurdle
0: yeah accessibility to the sport i mean i remember trying to you know if you want to learn in the uk exactly like you said you're either paying you know 50 uh, 100 pounds you know for a a lesson in a snow dome for one hour or you're on a a flight over to the french Alps. you know it's not accessible um and that that creates a lack of diversity within within the sport as well
1: yeah i think there is i think it is more accessible in europe than it is in the us i mean a ticket a lift ticket in Vail is like $200 a day, which is absolutely
0: insane. Like, how can somebody afford that?
1: You can't. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Like, if I didn't work in the industry and get free stuff and get like everything paid for, I probably wouldn't go snowboarding. My friends, yeah. my friends who I grew up with and like who are all great snowboarders and have like, you know, moved on in their lives from just focusing on that. Like, they don't even go anymore. Or if they do, they go like twice a year. Yeah you know for i was looking at uh before lockdown happened
0: i had a trip to to france booked for 4 days just because after my my hip replacement i wanted to i set myself a goal of being on a snowboard uh, within 6 months uh that trip was going to cost me uh 700 pounds just for like 3 days on the snowboard like it's it's ridiculous like you know um yeah, that's cheap yeah but, you know, but for the same amount of money, you can go on a, you know, one week holiday to Spain. So you understand why, what, you know, with the whole family. Uh, it's, I'm uh, probably going
1: to miss, I'm probably going to misquote him here. But Pat Bridges, the editor in chief or the the director of Snowboarder Mag. I was at a lunch meeting with him a few years ago and we were talking about, you know, what do we need to do to save snowboarding? And he, he said, and he just goes, a lift ticket at Vail is one hundred and eighty dollars you know what you can get in Tijuana for $180 or something along those yeah. lines. They're basically implying that you can have a lot more fun. Yeah. In, you can have a lot more fun in Tijuana with $180 than you get. He just basically said, it'll be, and believe me, it's a lot more memorable than anything. Yeah.
0: Fail. Well, I think it, 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 it shows in the sports that are the most popular, you know, around the world. You know, let's look at football or soccer. It's, you know, it's a football. It's all you need. You know, even when you look at action sports, skateboarding, you know, you can get your first skateboard for, for 30 pounds and you can you can just go and and session a curb in, in your street. Um, that makes them way more accessible to, to people all, all around the world to get into it. And, and as a result of it, those sports have got, um, you know, larger, larger groups of people and more diverse groups of people
1: doing. them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, in the in the U.S., we don't play soccer as much, but basketball, you know, you, there's a basketball court in every, you know, every neighborhood and you just need a ball. Yeah. And yeah. And the skate- skateboarding will always be the, you know, the coolest or whatever because it's, it's all you need. Yep. Yeah. No, agreed completely. Um,
0: so I just want to step it back to, uh, what we were talking about regards to, to influencers and the role of uh, snowboarders as influencers. Cause I think there's been a big topic around Nicholas Mueller recently. And I just kind of, I don't want to go into too much detail. Um, but for those who don't know, just kind of um, one of the biggest snowboarders in the world, um, putting out some, you know, controversial or considered misinformation for his social media channels and ended up being dropped by his sponsors from you being in a role at battalion where you were responsible for a lot of those athletes and the social media how do you how do you how do you consider the way that story's played out do you agree with it and and is them do we have to have more responsibility with those athletes that we're working with and looking at the messaging they're putting out there beyond their
1: their sport that they're doing I mean, in regards to the Nicholas situation, I think those brands, you know, uh, uh, did they do the right or wrong thing? That's not really even the question because it's, I I don't know. The thing that upsets me is everyone talking about how those brands took away his freedom of speech, which they didn't. He still has his platform. He still has his 100,000 followers. They just didn't want to be associated with it. it. They didn't. It's not speech that they agreed with. And that's business, you know, and that's freedom of speech doesn't um, mean freedom from consequences. This is something I heard a lot of people say. Yeah. Uh, You know, I know Nicholas. I think he's a great guy. I think. Personally feel like he's misguided with a lot of this stuff. And I think what's what makes those kind of things upsetting is to see someone that you like and respect kind of sharing things that uh, don't make a lot of sense or aren't based in research or fact or whatever. And without getting into, I don't want to go down that. No, no, I understand. Talk about, about those things, but, um, I think that those brands handled it as well as they could have, uh, you know, I'm sure that they had discussions with him before about, you know, we don't, uh, we don't align ourselves with, with the things that you're sharing. Um, and I'm sure he was given a chance to, to change and he didn't do it and that was his choice and they parted ways with him.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you, I think the point that you made was the, was the the most important one is, is that you haven't lost freedom of speech, but you have your freedom of speech with consequences. And, and as an athlete, when somebody sponsors you, they are aligning themselves with, with your image. And if those two, um, those two images start to kind of separate and go off in different directions, that's where sponsorships end. And, and this happened on maybe a more political or controversial uh, topic, but ultimately it was uh, the, the athlete and the brand grew apart and that meant that they needed to separate ways. Um, and that doesn't mean impairing somebody's freedom of speech because he still has his his platform to to continue doing what he's doing so no I just wanted to touch on it because I think it's been uh, it's interesting and in the the show notes I'll put a link to um, to, to Stan's, uh, um, uh, show that he did on it because I think he covered the topic kind of brilliantly and people can can have a have a watch of that um so to kind of close things up I think you're Career has been one that's that's kind of started in film, gone into marketing, and 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 is now working its way back in, into film. It would be in what's your uh, what are your hopes for for kind of the next steps, your next projects, and what do you see as kind of the 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 direction that the snowboarding's going in? Where do you hope it will will end up over the next kind of decade? I guess.
1: Uh, my my personal goals are to, I'm gonna probably take a bit of a step back and just work on a few projects here and there. Maybe go, you know, go on like one trip a month, lend my services to to brands and whoever, and try to like, just take it a bit more easy, at least this coming winter. Um, how, where do I see the industry in 10 years? I mean, that's hard to say. Like, I know, you know, there's all the reports, the overall, the industry is declining, but I know the brands I've been working with are are doing well and there's been growth. And I think it's just going to be, you know, things are, are more competitive, but it's just whoever, you know, the brands that are more resourceful, the brands that adopt kind of the way marketing and media and all that, is going and implement all that stuff and look to bolster their direct to consumer sales while also supporting their, their retailers and finding ways to, to bridge that gap. I know there's a lot of cool stuff happening with in biking with that. The like giant has their uh, you can order from their website and you pick up the bike at a, at a bike shop and they put it together for you. Yeah. And that bike shop makes the and that bike shop gets the same margin as if they sold it from their shop. Yeah. I mean there's a lot of cool programs that are out there in Action Sports to help kind of support retail and and direct to consumer sales and people are just gonna have to get creative. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. Yeah, and a lot of
0: opportunity out there to to kind of be different in what became a bit of a, a saturated market at one point. But um, I guess uh, a lot of one of the reasons why I wanted to to, to set up this podcast is because people often, you know, would maybe come to someone like yourself or or someone like me and say, you know, how do I get into that industry? Like, like how did you get the job that you do? And, and we've covered a, a lot of ground, and we could probably talk for for hours. But just to to wrap this up, if someone comes to you and asks that question, like what's your what's your advice to them if they want to be the the next diggles and make films and work for work for snowball brands and follow that. Like,
1: like, how do they go about doing it? Just start doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, start, get a camera, start filming with people, whatever, you know, in my role at low pressure, get emails all the time from people, you know, with, with photos, video, whatever. And sometimes that turns into, us buying that content and, and making these relationships and introduce yourself to people. If you've got friends who are really good at snowboarding, you know, to help them get sponsored and then they can get their sponsors to hire you to be their filmer, photographer, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it is, it is a lot about who you know and how good you are at, at working those connections.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think you just kind of have to, put yourself out there and, and, and the one thing you've always done is do that and you've never been scared to, to ask um, and people shouldn't be. I think if you approach it in the, the right direction and that you're confident in your own ability, then you know, you're know you in control and you, you've proved that. So um, I'm stoked to see what, what comes from you in the future. I know we've, we've been talking about some ideas around Claudia and, and some film projects with her. We've been trying to get off the ground, but just to, to see you back focusing on film, would be uh, looking forward to see, see what comes out. Um, we'll put some links to, to some of the projects that we've talked about so that people can see some, some of that work and go on a, on a bit of a trip down memory lane. Um, and before we close, I'd just leave it for you to say, give you, give any thanks to any of the people that you've worked with along the way. And uh, yeah, give us your, your final words.
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to thank, everyone who i've worked with over the years a big thank you to danny and dennis low pressure studio for giving me the opportunity six years ago uh with that super park video and that turning into what it has become uh la rog's kevin and tor you everybody at monster who i worked with uh John Weaver with Sonny when they were working at Nike, the Haldor and Aki, a bunch of guys and girls. And, um, yeah, I don't know, all the media, Chriso, Tomas, Claudia. So the list goes on and on. You've been a busy guy. Yeah. Mate, well, uh, thanks. So, thanks, for ha- so- thanks for having me on.
0: No, it's been been a pleasure. And I know there's uh, a hell of a lot of stuff we could talk about. It's been interesting kind of, to kind of scroll through the last eight years in, in 60 minutes. So I'm sure we'll have more to talk about in the future. But for now, uh, best of luck with uh, your future endeavors. And um, thanks for joining us on The Insider. Yeah, thanks, man. Cheers, Ryan. Yeah, Later. Bye. Well, there you have it. That was episode two of The Insider with Ryan Scardelli from Low Pressure Studios. Thank you for joining us all the way to the end. Ryan is an incredible talent, uh, a brilliant filmmaker, and some of those early projects that we worked on together at Monster Energy really helped to shape both of our careers moving forwards. Those projects such as Beyond Metals uh, are some of the memories that I cherish the most and the projects that I have been proudest to be involved with. Uh, We will put some of those projects in the episode notes so be sure to check them out and we can't wait to see what comes from Ryan in the next couple of years. We will be back with episode 3 of The Insider in the next couple of weeks with another incredible guest that we hope to shine a light on their story. Until then, Thank you for joining us. If you have any feedback or want to get in touch, you can reach me on adam at workwithstudios.com or follow me on Instagram at adamdayson. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next time on The Insider.